So when I was, I wanted to be Indiana Jones when I grew up, is, is, is basically the long and the short of it. Um, I wanted to travel around the country, dig stuff up, um, you know, defeat Nazis, um, find long lost relics, that, that sort of thing. That is the voice of Neil Dostrom, the author of Tractor Wars. He's the branded properties and heritage manager at John Deere. Before that, he was Deere's corporate history and archive manager. Neil is also a certified archivist who has been on Book TV, National Geographic, PBS, and the History Channel. I have never met a business archivist, and when I had the chance to do an interview with Neil on Tractor Wars, I asked if he could stick around for a second conversation on what type of work that entails. So corporate history and archives with Neil Dahlstrom, that's coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. Neil Dahlstrom's vocation started at a very young age in East Moline, Illinois. Even in high school, he worked at a museum. Yeah, when I was in uh, in high school, I volunteered. Um, so we have the Rock Island Arsenal here in the Quad Cities. It's a, a, a military installation, and it's, I think, the oldest Army museum in the country. And uh, I volunteered there uh, in high school, and I got to work on, there was a Civil War, a Confederate prison camp there during the Civil War. I got to work in Civil War records. Um, and then we have another regional museum called the Putnam, where I, I did some volunteer work there just because I was interested. Your first job, I believe out of college, was an archivist in Virginia. Did you find that job or did that job find you? Um, I found that job. Uh, because I was desperate for employment after graduate school uh, in, in, in the industry. And, and it was a startup archive. And uh, it, I really looked at it as it was just a job in archives. And I wasn't, um, I guess I wouldn't say I wasn't smart enough, but I never considered doing anything else. So it was, I was going to do whatever it took. I had side jobs working for the county and historic properties. And I just wanted to be around history and being in Virginia as a Civil War um, reader, uh, it just it was a good fit, even though I was working in contemporary history. But it was fascinating in its own right. It's all about, and I guess that was my entry into kind of corporate history uh, was was through that that archive in the commercial space industry. This may seem like a, a silly, foolish question, but I want to ask anyway: corporate history, corporate archives. Are they the same thing? They're all the same thing. Yeah. The, the corporate history comes out of the corporate archives. What is, in your opinion, and let's use John Deere as an example, what are the biggest outcomes of any organization? I, I've, I would be curious, what's the count of organizations? And it'd probably be in the Fortune 500, especially the Fortune 100. You know, how many have corporate archives, this corporate history arm? Uh, I'm curious what are the outcomes? Is it a cost or is there this underlying benefit you can't even measure? Yeah. And, and I I'd start by saying there's a lot more than you would think. And, and I think just a, a lot of them, we, we exist to, to kind of serve our organization. 
So that's different than a, a public museum or a public archive or a, an educational archive, you know, universities, that, that sort of thing. But I, I would say, I mean, I'd go through a long list of benefits, but at the end of the day, like we want to know where we came from, right? We want to know who we are. We want to know the decisions that were made before us. We want to identify with people. I think part of it is we want to be remembered ourselves, right? Like what was our contribution? What what did we do? And working for a company like John Deere, we're 186 years young. I mean, we've touched everything globally for 186 years in one form or another, peripherally, directly. Um, so what was our impact? And for us to be able to go back and say, well, these are our, our core values as a company. And I can show you where John Deere wrote that. And I can show you that he was paraded out of a a, a, a political meeting uh, because he was opposed to slavery, um, you know, pre-Civil War. And I can actually prove that to you. It means a lot. It gives us our identity. It reinforces our higher purpose, where we've been, and I think inspires us that, yeah, we can do this too. Like we've got hardships. Those before us had hardships and we can persevere and we could do the next great thing. I learned this from Robert Corum. He is the biographer of John Boyd, fighter pilot. He's been on our show, uh, one of our first 50 interviews. And what I learned from him was John Boyd, he did not write a lot of things down. It's not like he had these journals and journals. He didn't have all these letters he kept. So Robert kept talking about the oral history, the oral history. And it dawned on me that, oh, about a lot of historians, they have to rely on oral histories. Has that been the case with you and your work, or has it been more the physical written document? A lot of my work has been 19th, early 20th century history. As you get into the mid and later 20th century, you get more dependent on oral history, especially since the, I'd say, especially since the 90s, where digital records have taken over. Um, oral histories become really important because it's really hard to, there's so many drafts and versions. You don't know the final product. You don't know the discussions. There's retention schedules where you're deleting records because you're, you know, you're required to do that. Where if, if you go back to our second CEO, Charles Deere, and you've got 20 boxes of handwritten correspondence, you can see back and forth, back and forth. What we get a lot now is one side or we get the published version, right? Um, and so the nature of history has changed. And, and, and so we think about, well, if, if someone's doing this research 50 years from now, do they only have an annual report to consult? Or are they going to have the CEO correspondence where there's people disagreeing and they have to make a decision? And I think that's where it, it changes. I, I say, I think uh, at the end of the book that I think archivists are kind of unsung heroes. And, and, and I'm serious when I say that because we hear from historians, but we don't hear from the people who save and document and organize and make accessible all the records that historians use. And what you just said, this is why we're having this second conversation. I just find everything you're doing fascinating. I, I, that's an understatement, which leads to my, one of my last questions. Let's say you're speaking to a group of 200 CEOs and you're speaking on the topic of here's how to create a history or an archive arm in your organization, 
let's be a little bit more specific. Let's say it's a company of maybe 50 or 60 employees. Maybe it ranges from 30 employees to 60. It can be a little bit more than that to give you some, just some context. What would you say to them about why this is important and then the benefits, even for a small organization? Yeah, I, I think the benefits, I, I always go back to what, what you're trying to kind of solve for an answer, who, what, when, why, where. You're trying to answer these questions five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, we, we hear this phrase a lot, past is prologue. I don't love the phrase um, because we're not trying to replicate something that happened in the past and follow the same path, right? But there's lessons to be learned. Um, and so really, it's like anything. What, what's the return on your investment? And so that's going to determine kind of your approach. But but at the end of the day, we all reach a point where we say, boy, I just, there's something kind of missing. Like, I, I'm not, I don't understand the meaning. I don't understand why this happened. Um, and I want to know a little bit more. It's really hard to recreate if, if that documentation is gone. Um, so I would kind of argue that in the long term, kind of the long term value, it's going to be there for you. It's especially going to be there when you need it the most. And that's the hard part of archives, which it feels like you're not using it all the time. But boy, when you need it, you need it. You mentioned the word values, corporate values, a few minutes ago. And that's one of two reasons I believe this is so important. If you go back in history, here are where these values came from. And then number two, when you start onboarding some of your key future leaders in the organization, just to have that, that history, that foundation, those roots. I, I think, again, how do you measure that? I do. I, can I throw you a quick opinion on how to get started? This may seem overwhelming. Uh, right in the heart of COVID, in fact, it was right after the, the shutdown in 2020, I was working on a very complicated bank loan. It involved a manufacturing plant. And the owner was stuck. It was a bridge loan. And he was paying this enormous amount of interest because, again, it was a bridge loan. So I get involved. And one of my rules, you have to have three people that will commit, three banks, which we got. The first page I had for our presentation, I was able to get the history, the sales history going back to day one. This is a $90 million organization. So we had about 20 years of history and it was a very simple bar chart. And I had some bubbles where we hit some key points and that was our starting point. And did you know that that part for every bank, that was about a 30 to 35 minute conversation. And it led to validation is like, oh, there's some substance here. And you could also take that same approach and look at by employees. You could look at major developments. So I would just say, just take a simple timeline, but maybe start with sales. And then you can start going a little bit deeper. Would that be a good starting point? Yeah, I think it's a great starting point. And and, and the starting point could be as simple as, well, here's a box of records. I'm just going to create an inventory in Excel. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you start to kind of kind of understand records and our, our archives are interesting. We we always say 
our, our job isn't to know something. Our job is to know the records where we can, that type of information is potentially. So we're, we're trained from that respect so that when I get asked a question, um, I know, well, okay, you're, you're thinking it's an annual report, but I know in 1942, it was actually the, uh, a comptroller's report. And so I can translate that in my brain and go pull that record, right? And I know there's versions of it and some are for the public and some are not. And of course, I always want to go to the ones that are not because it's really got the stuff in it. And, and so that's kind of what, what the profession is. But I mean, you start anywhere, right? And just you start putting this together and then you start to understand over time what's valuable, what's not. It's subjective. And you start to build a track record. This is what people are asking for. And that's going to drive a lot of it too. Like this is the type of information that we need for our organization. It's going to be different for every organization. Um, now there's a lot of emphasis on visuals. We want to look at films. Uh, we want to look at photos because it, it. you're going to remember that versus Neil writing a 5,000 word um, text panel in an exhibit, right? You're going to remember the photo and not the 5,000 words. Last question. I don't know how big or how small your world is, for what you do. I don't know if there are any associations that you're a part of for people just like you, but for the person who I've never heard of this before, this sounds really cool. I want to do this. How, what, what are the next steps? What are the qualifications? There's a, there's a, uh, a lot of um, graduate programs in archival studies, museum studies, oftentimes they're in, in, the, in the library studies department where you're going to find that there's volunteer opportunities at your local historical society at museums. There's archives all over the place. Um, kind of our main organization is the society of American archivists. Uh, we've got a business archive section with 500 plus members just in business. Just archives. in business. Right. Um, so that's where we do our benchmarking and compare notes. Uh, but there's a lot of, of educational information. And this also translates into how people get into it as I'm interested in genealogy. Um, I'm interested in, in preserving family photos. So that's kind of the gateway for some people into this, uh, where you kind of start to turn it into a profession as well. And I was, and I was speaking more toward the business centric person who was, mm -hmm. And, I'm, and by the way, it could be nonprofit, but someone seeking a in a corporate position, because I'm assuming the demand or the supply is not large, at least in the business sector. Is that right? There's actually the, the projections for corporate archives. It's outpacing a lot of other industries. Wow. Um, I, I, I think companies are, are understanding. Um, wait. We use this word authenticity all the time. I hear it all the time. Uh, but you often hear from people who have nothing to back up the authenticity claim. And so I think there's an understanding of, well, I can physically show you something or I can tell this story and I can prove it. Um, that's, that's authentic because I can touch something. It's kind of this counterintuitive uh, view of millennials and a lot of the research I see, which is we're digital natives. We want everything easily accessible and digital, but also I kind of want to touch it. And, and I want to feel it at the same time. Um, so, so this generation's driving some of that as well, that you can only say it so many times before you actually have to show me something and prove it. Well, Neil, I, again, I'm, th this is intriguing. It's fascinating. I love your book and, and I can tell that you really love 
uh, what you do. But thanks for sticking with us to do the second bonus episode. It means a lot to me. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Neil Dostrom, the author of Tractor Wars, astounding. What about your business? Should your organization have a small museum or a wing that shows and has its history? And if you are a business owner, I bet you could find an intern or two to start going through your archives and building a narrative through pictures, print, audio. So I'm hoping Neil has spurred some ideas in your mind. We need to call this a wrap. Thank you for listening to this second conversation with Neil. Give him a thumbs up over on LinkedIn. I really think he'd appreciate it. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. (music) 